brothers and sisters, uh, welcome today to this glorious sacrament meeting. We have a very, very important guest, uh, somebody who could not be harmed by slings and arrows and uh, has survived to this day to tell us his modern story. Uh, We're joined today by Samuel the Lamanite, and of course, on the stand is Bishop Jensen. Uh, Bishop, I'm going to turn the time over to you, and you can maybe do a bit of an introduction here and get us rolling on this beautiful uh, spring Sabbath day. Thank you, uh, Elder Jackson. So Samuel, our first uh, Lamanite guest, uh, very excited to have you here on the stand with us, and uh, we're very interested to just hear a little bit more about your uh, your life story. And I guess we're going to start talking about marriage in the Mormon Church. So why don't you get us give us uh, your your five minute recap on your life up until your mission? Yes, I will. Well, brothers and sisters, I'll be talking about marriage today, but I want you to know a little bit more about me. Um, I was born in New York City. Both my parents are converts. They were. They both moved from Ecuador, and um, so I've grown up in the church the whole, my whole life, and um, I've lived all around. My dad was actually a mission president in California, so I got to see the church real um, up and close for a short mm. amount of time. And then um, after living most of my life in Idaho, I went to Columbia for two years, um, came back, um, started going to school. And um, I was feeling real confused because you know how um, on your mission you kind of get told like, oh, yeah, once you go back, it's time to find a wife. Like, that's the first thing you need to do. Mm-hmm. And then me being like super like kind of like, you know, because on my mission, I was pretty down bad about the church. Like I thought I was a good missionary. Like Obviously, like I had always had my doubts, but I was still like firm 100%. So I came back and then. Um, I just remember thinking like, yeah, I think I just got to find a wife now. So I met um, my, she was my girlfriend at the time, my my ex-wife now, I guess. And then um, she wasn't really, um, she wasn't active at all, really, but she was trying to be. And then me being like the return missionary, I was like, oh, I can, I'll, if, I'll help her, I'll save her, you know? Mm-hmm. So we um we both started talking and hanging out more and she and like she said she really wanted to start going to church so I kind of helped her with that and like all those uncomfortable things when you have to go start going back to church like meeting with the bishop and talking to him about your past sins and all that stuff so she wanted to do all that so I would just kind of like help her out and go with her you know just be a good friend and all that type of stuff so as time progressed we started dating and things were getting more serious and um, it, it was always super weird because, like, I would go over because she lived, um, like, 30, 40 minutes away from me. So I would go over on the weekends and just sleep over like the like the sinful person I was, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I would go sleep over. But so it was so weird because th- this is the part that I hated because, like, whenever we would try to get intimate, like, we, we, we wouldn't feel bad about it. But, like self-consciously in your head like you get told to feel bad about it you know mm-hmm. and, and like we didn't even we never even got like super super intimate but it was always just like so weird and awkward and especially for her because she was like trying to get back into the church and she was like oh like this is really confusing and all this stuff and I was and I was kind of getting to the point where I'm like I don't like really feel bad for like wanting to be of someone I love you know mm-hmm. it was getting super super weird and it was just I mean, like super out of hand. And um, so we were both talking and talking more about how uh, we want to spend the rest of our lives together, you know, as you do here in Idaho, just six months. <laughs> <you need>. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we approached the six month mark. I, I wanted to wait until like at least the seventh or eighth month mark, but <laughs> I think we got to six months and then um, we, we got engaged and, um, I remember that that was like the worst part because she moved down to Rexburg. So we both lived in Rexburg. We each had our own apartment, but it was terrible. There was no privacy. Mm -hmm. We couldn't really go anywhere. My parents are very, very, um, they're very conservative. So it's like they didn't really ever want us like being in the same room together by ourselves a lot. Mm -hmm. So what she did was she kind of just eventually just got her own apartment um, because like she just couldn't handle roommates. And once she got her own apartment, 
like I would just kind of just live, I was basically living there. <laughs> and then my parents found out and they obviously didn't like that. And then she like got weirded out by that because, you know, like none of her family are really members of the church. So she's like, why are your parents getting weird about that? I'm like, I don't know. It's just weird. I'm like, I'll, like I told her, like, I don't really care what my parents think. Like, I kind of don't want to do whatever. But, you know, how it is in the culture, you kind of feel like sh- ashamed and all this stuff. So it was a hard situation mm-hmm. to be in. Mm-hmm. And eventually just got to the point where it's like any privacy that we could have, like she just felt super awkward about it. Cause like she was always thinking about like my parents and stuff. And so eventually we were just like, I guess we're going to have to get married. Like we we're acting as if like, Oh, like we have to get married. Maybe this is like a sign that God wants us to be married or whatever. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Like, I really don't care. You know what I mean? Like there's some things that I really I think that's when I was, um, like, mentally, how do you say it? Physically in, mentally out. Yeah, PMO. Mm-hmm. I was PMO. I was getting really okay. PMO. Like, after I got back to my mission, I was just getting progressively more and more. So at that point, I was fully, like, I don't know about all this. So eventually, we got married. And then her parents were, like, were the first people to be like, are you sure about this? Like, mm-hmm. This is weird. Like, just because you guys want to like sleep together, and, and we kept them like kind of trying to convince everyone, like, no, it's not because of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so we got married. You know, we didn't get married in the temple first because of COVID restrictions and all of that. So we had, we got married, and it was it was cool. It was a fun. You know, you get that honeymoon period of like three or four months. Like when you're married, so everything was like just fine. But then you realize, like, really quickly what happens when you're getting married to someone you don't really know, you know, on both parts. Like, it was really no one's fault why we're separated now. Like, if you just look at the whole situation, like, it almost makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we don't, like, know anything about each other. And then yeah. whenever we whenever we would go to church, like, oh, you guys have to get married. Like, if you can't, um, like, be away from each other, that means you're just you need to get sealed and all this stuff. Like, but you know, like we're, we were just young and horny. Like that's all it is. We're mm-hmm. just normal, like 20, 21 year old. So, yeah. <laughs> so we got married and then, um, it was, I think just as our marriage went on and on, I was just getting completely out of the church. You know, I was just like, I don't really care. I don't like mm-hmm. really, I, I I'm doing my own thing, you know? And then, and then she was, and then I think she was getting to that point too, but she mm-hmm. was like, she wanted to give it like one last go. Like maybe we can really start going back to church and having like gospel weekly discussions or reading our scriptures every night, you know, she's like, maybe mm-hmm. that will save our marriage, you know? And I remember just being like, I think we need to actually like make a, like an effort to like go to counseling and like, I, I need to grow up. We need to grow up. Like we need to actually like become better people, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I think her answer to that was just like, you know, let's, let's start going to church and all this stuff. And then we both quickly realized that that wasn't going to do anything, especially if I didn't really want to do any of that. So we, we got separated for a, a bit at a time, and we kind of just both thought about things and pondered things. And then we both came to the conclusion that we were like, we really were put in like, we were just pressured to get married, you know, from my, mm-hmm. my parents, from everyone in Rexburg, kind of. And it's just so unfortunate that like it happened like that. We could have avoided all like kind of that hurt and pain. And um, yeah, so like we're completely separated now. Like she has her own place. She's doing good. Like we're, we're still cool and talk to each other, but we like, we're still friends, but we just can't believe like how like one relationship kind of got pushed to a whole like marriage, then a whole like really unhealthy, like, like what are we doing type thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, what was it that like started moving you out? Because it sounds like, like you were bringing her back, like you were helping mm-hmm. get her back in. And so then mm-hmm. like at what point and what started to sh- make that shift for you? I don't know. I think I just started to do research. <laughs> okay. You know how you hear your whole life? Like, Doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Like, oh, God, mm-hmm. I hate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I think I remember just doing research. So I think I, I remember just, I don't even know how it happened. I just remember thinking about more and more things. 
and more things were coming out from the church. Like I remember my, my, the rest of my family, all my kids were, were grown up super like, you know, Mormon. We did all the things that we were supposed to do. My sister's like, she's not a member at all. She had her records with John, my brother and his wife, mm-hmm. they don't go to church and his wife's not a member. And then my younger sister too is, she doesn't go to church anymore. So it's like, it's funny how all of us brought up and like, we're so strong. Mm-hmm. But I think we all just started doing research on our own. We start, we, we finally were trying to think for ourselves, especially because I was out of the house for so long. I'm like, I need to start doing research on my own. And people always say, don't do your research. I'm like, why do they say that? <laughs> why do they so, say that? So what kind of things were you researching? Was it the CES letter where you're listening mm-hmm. to Mormon yeah. stories? Or- it, it's so funny how everyone starts on like the ex-Mormon Reddit page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know why, but I remember I started going on there and then I just started looking at more and more stuff. And then I remember listening to more and more what the, what, what I guess the apostles were saying. And I'm just, I kind of knew in my life that like half of this is kind of all bullshit anyway. I was like, I was already hanging on to like the part that I believed that wasn't bullshit. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of getting out to the point where I'm like, eh, like how much of this is actually like critical to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I don't know. I just was realizing more and more that I don't really need all these things that they tell me, uh, tell us to be happy. Like I was already doing fine. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can, uh, you know, when you're talking, so what kinds of things that the, the apostles were saying where you're just kind of like, oh, this is kind of bullshit. Because it says, so on one hand, you're you're researching issues and you're like, yeah, the truth mm-hmm. is kind of BS. And then you you also mentioned like you're listening to the apostles and you're like, oh, this is kind of BS. Like what kind of things that the I apostles think, were saying? I think it was like, I don't remember which apostle it was, but they gave a talk in like B- at BYU, like in Provo. And it was something mm-hmm. about like, um, something homophobic. <laughs> and I remember my sister showed me, my younger sister showed me it. And I, mm-hmm. I was like, read it. And I was like, what the hell is wrong? With, like, what the hell is wrong with the church? Like, I know like they've been blatantly homophobic and like kind of racist for the past, well, I guess since forever, mm-hmm. but like it was getting more and more like, I was just noticing it more and more. And it wasn't even more that I would just notice like how like bad the members were. You, mm-hmm. you, know, you know how it is. There's so homophobic, some of them. I'm like, I can't believe that, like, we grew up in an environment, like, where, like, you can say stuff and, like, that's okay and, like, accept yeah. it and, like, oh, that's normal. Yeah. And then when you, like, when you grow up and, like, when you, well, I guess when you live in places that are more worldly, you realize that's not normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, just getting comfortable here. So, um, for, for people not listening, Bishop actually, or not watching people, people who can't see, uh, what's happening here. Bishop actually brings a bed up onto the stand every (laughs) single week and uh, and he lays in his bed and, and he makes me bring the microphone over to him. Um, well, well, he's, he's laying there. I, unlike you guys, you single bachelors, I don't have like a home office all the rooms in my house are occupied by children. Um, so I can't just like make a home office somewhere with a nice little desk to, to quietly podcast like you, you sinners who have not had children yet. You menaces to society. It's, <laughs> yeah. true. it's, it's so true. I'm just getting a little bit more comfortable here. Any, okay. So that's interesting that you talk about homophobia as being a big issue because when I was, so I'm older than both of you guys, but like, we loved our homophobia back in the early 2000s. Like we yeah. loved Prop 8. We loved talking about how like marriage is a heterosexual institution and the gays are going to steal it from us. And I don't know, they want to get married because they're all pedophiles and they want to adopt children so they can abuse them. And we were all good. Like We were all good with that. We'd all say that in Elder's Court and nod our heads and say, yeah, yeah, the gays are pedophiles as well. Uh, and that was just a normal part of Sunday. But it seems like, because how old are you there, Samuel, the Lamanite? Like you're in your early 20s? Yes, 21. Right. So it seems like, guys, your age, it's like, whoa, whoa, this homophobic shit is bad. Mm-hmm. Is it, do you find that even in yeah. in, uh, in Mormon Saudi Arabia where you are? Yeah. Uh, people are, 
well, it's super weird because I remember, like, even because most of my friends, I remember in high school, all my friends weren't members. I would, I would specifically try to be friends with people that weren't LES because, like, they were normal. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> especially in, like, uh, especially where I live, you know, in Saudi Arabia, they're really weird down here. Mm-hmm. So, um, I remember, like, back in the day, like. Like all like the kind of like the homophobia stuff like wasn't really that big of a deal because like, I grew up in like the Xbox 360 days where like mm-hmm. those those voice chats were brutal you know mm-hmm. yeah but um but as you get older you realize that like things are more like kind of like, pro- progressive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I, I guess like when I was in high school is that like kind of like when when a gay marriage was legalized and like my younger sister like all of her friends were gay. And then um, all, all my friends, where, where, I, where I live, it's super conservative, but all my friends were, um, um, they, they were more like kind of like less th- thinking. So, and I would always hang mm-hmm. out with them and, and be like, yeah, like, this is like a very different way of thinking than everyone else around me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I kind of like this way more, you know? I, I like how it's more like inclusive and not just straight up hating on people for being different. Mm-hmm. And I think I just related that with being a mormon with being like if you're different you're 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 double you're a demon yeah hmm. and then I, I guess as our generations got older we realized that like things are not like being homophobic is like not good yeah 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 like well, we've you, learned hey wait a second learned, like, hey, what my mom told me that, sucks i was 26 i got my first job out of university i ended up working with a like a coworker who started at the firm with me who is gay and that was like my first time talking to a gay person hmm. 26 and, and i remember consciously having the thought like oh wait he just wants to live his life just there he's not part of a conspiracy to overthrow society as i know it he's just a regular yeah. guy looking for love and happiness yeah huh. <laughs> imagine that. that wacky yeah, normal yeah, people. Twenty six, twenty six. Like, <laughs> yeah. So okay. So you were you were married. You got married. Like you guys felt like you were required to take that relationship to the next step, like that. Mm-hmm. Because it was because you know, because um, I, I was a I was a good boy. You know, I had an um mm-hmm. then the really before so i was like you know i want to make this special and all this stuff and i think um so we got married you know and then i think i was i was married i was kind of thinking i'm like why why are people um like kind of later into the marriage i was thinking like why do are people so insistent like on not having sex before marriage i was like why like why is that a thing and i remember a coworker telling me like honestly like i don't know how like why y'all like mormons like wait to have sex like if it was up to me i would rather ha- have my kids like sleeping around or living with their boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever for like a couple of years before getting married because i w- <laughs> that will save them hurt down the road you know and then i remember thinking at that time like oh like no he just doesn't know the truth <laughs> and then after i was married i was thinking i'm like you know like it would be so beneficial for anyone just to live just to be normal and know your partner more before wanting yeah. to get married Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um it's, it was where i yeah. live as you know other jackson like people get married mm-hmm. quick yeah so fast just, like rexburg pe- people who haven't lived in rexburg and haven't been to rexburg don't like understand quite how like nuts it is mm-hmm. um like when i was there it was like people were <laughs> dropping like flies like they would show up their first semester and by the end of their semester they were getting married like they were planning their wedding for the end of the semester mm-hmm. and uh, if it weren't for them having a housing contract in single housing <laughs> and the difficulty of getting married housing it would be shorter like they wouldn't wait that three months it would be a month and they they'd be married mm-hmm. um, and that's i'm not like exaggerating like it sounds insane but that's real it is insane it's so weird <laughs> you know i so like i got married like we got married very quickly um maybe not rexburg rexburg fast like we went out at the end of november uh 2010 
we started dating exclusively in January 2011. We got engaged in May 2011, got married August 2011. Yeah. So it was almost, it was like, you know, it was 10 months from meeting to marriage, which is, you know, short for some people, long time for, I guess, Rexburg. Um, but mm -hmm. what I'm finding is I'm like, we're, my wife and I were actually talking last night. I was like, I think I'm ready to get married like now. I think now I'm emotionally <laughs> mature enough to handle being married. And, and uh, one other thing I was thinking about just kind of where I got lucky is like hiring people for jobs. I can remember like five years ago, I knew what the ideal candidate looked like. And now mm -hmm. five years later, it's completely different what the ideal candidate looks like. And mm -hmm. so I'd say what was important to me when I was 24 getting married it's completely different now what I would say, you know, if you ask 24 year old Andrew, what's the most important thing in a spouse or what are you looking for while you're dating versus like, you know, if you had to start over, what would you look for now? It's completely mm -hmm. different. And I'm just kind of lucky that the person I ended up marrying, you know, has attributes that are actually important. Like it yeah. was a crapshoot because I easily could have gotten married in a situation like Samuel the Lamanite where it's like, the horniness is driving this uh, this marriage. I'd say like the horniness drove us to get married as quickly as what we did, I would say, but um, it didn't drive the relationship, which it sounds like from your description, it was, there were a lot of hormones in that relationship. Yeah. And we just try to disguise it like it wasn't, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. it's really trying to the spirit, you know, like, you know, all these things that are happening to us, maybe the Lord yeah. needs us to get married now. It's like, nah. Yeah, not. it wasn't the spirit. So no, I'd say sometimes I think the Mormon marriages that last are it's just like it's luck of the draw. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like for every, yeah, it, you, there's there's always get there's Mormons who are going to get married super young and super fast to be happy, mm -hmm. right? That, that's going to happen. But there's also going to be a lot of people I think in uh, in in Samuel the Lamanite's position here where they end up realizing like, what the hell have I done? And yeah. uh, mm -hmm. try to make decisions from there. Well, so oh, yeah. I, I want to hear then at what point and how did that conversation go saying like, Hey, so maybe we got married for the wrong reasons and maybe this isn't oh. going to work out. So it was like, my 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 wife at the time she she she's super smart so after we kind of had like we had we had a break so we were, like, we're living in different places and we, we kind of had our own time to like think things out so we met i think it was like a week or two after and then i think it was like so good for her you know cuz she was like thinking cuz she wasn't like she wasn't who she was when i first met her so we talked hmm. and she kind of realized that too and i was still kind of like living in denial and i was like oh but we got sealed like and all this stuff mm -hmm. And then she told me, she's like, you know, you and I were put in like in a very bad situation. Like we both, like, even though we both really liked each other, like we were very pressured to get married. Mm -hmm. So she, I remember when she told me that first and I was kind of like, oh, like I was, a, I was a mixed bag of emotions. But um, after thinking about it more, I'm like, we were like, we were put in a terrible situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No one should be in that type of position, you know? Like, she's like, I wish we would have just been, like, free and done whatever we want. But, like, since I was trying to get back in the church and you wanted to do whatever I wanted, like, we kind of just went against what was natural. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah. and, and she's like, I really wish we would have just played it like, like like we wanted to. I'm like, yeah, yeah you're right. Like, we were both just telling ourselves, like, this is what, this is what we want to do when it, in reality, that's just what we're told to do since you're young. I remember one episode you guys were saying like when you come back home from a mission, like you want like your virgin wife and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just remember being like, that's so toxic. It's so mm -hmm. bad. You're raising so many guys who are going to be so um, confused. And when they're confused, they might do things you really regret. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's treated as like the whole purpose. And I think people get such a, like a reverence for their mission president that when the mission president says something like, you, you know, you have to go and get married within the next six months kind of thing. And, uh, it, I mean, people really do it. I was talking, I met somebody yesterday who 
she said that her mission president told an elder in the mission, like, you need to marry this sister missionary from the mission. And they're married, and it seems to be working out, I guess. But, like, that's crazy mm-hmm. for somebody to just hop off their mission and be like, well, my mission president said I should date so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you, I guess I will. Like, one thing about missions being this journey into adulthood, and I don't want to, like, downplay missions as a valuable life experience, but, like, in the 80s, you used to have to pay your own way. Like, 60s, 70s, 80s, you paid your own way or the family paid the whole way for the mission. And so like you were really, you were really out on your own, really living within a budget. There was no like call the mission office and ask for more money because you're out of groceries. There was no like phoning or texting home every day or once a week or whatever they're doing now. And so I think, you know, in the eighties, maybe the nineties. Yeah. A mission was really this leaving home growing up experience but now because the missionaries are so well taken care of by the church, it's kind of like I went to EFY for two years. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And in that kind of maturing and growth that comes isn't, I would say it's just not the same as what it was. And, but we still have this expectation that when you come home from a mission, you really become this well-rounded man yeah. who's ready to take care of himself when really it's like, no, like I just went from using my mom's debit card to using the church's debit card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have to budget or plan for anything. And if I spent too much money, the mission office just sent me more. I know there's missions like in rough parts of the world where that, you know, poor parts of Africa or South America where that might be a really, really hard experience. But if you're serving stateside, if you're serving in Europe, uh, like your experience is going to be like a big EFY. And I think a lot of missionaries are serving stateside. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of them are just like, yeah, I, you know, I lived in California for two years, got a good tan and like <laughs> <laughs> went to some Rara meetings. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember being in Colombia and, Another thing that I hated was that like all the Latinos would get such like a big different treatment than all like the American elders. Because mm-hmm. I remember like there was like um, when there were big medical problems, they would mm-hmm. like the American elders like the finest like hospitals there and stuff. Because in Colombia, there's not that many, you know, you have to go into right. the big cities. But when the Latinos would have the same diseases or same sicknesses or worse, they would be like, oh, you're fine. Just stay home. And I was like, damn. Like that's <laughs> really up. Yeah. Like missionaries from other parts of South America? Yeah. Uh huh. Wow. That, like, (laughs) I was like, okay. Like, what? (laughs) And I just remember a mission because, um, I I, I could, like, pass for both, you know? Right. So Mm -hmm. I remember I was, I was talking with, um, our mission president's wife and she's like well just like you know the americans they 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 need more treatment they need they, they need more special treatment they're not mm-hmm. as tough as the latino missionaries i was right. like okay all right that's it right wow. like you guys are you guys get these diseases all the time you guys yeah. grew up with malaria like why do we need to put you in the hospital these <laughs> white boys they they don't know about all the yeah. they're not they vaccinated against hands. half this stuff because it's eradicated yeah. in their country like yeah. they, they need ac they need a like, <laughs> yeah. nice hotels here <laughs> So yeah, what I'd the say heck? like unless you're in a real rough part of the world, I'd say the mission's not the growing up experience that it used to be, no. right? And uh, but there's still the expectation that you come home and you're some kind of man uh, who's lived on his own, who's had to make it on his own, and now you can take care of a family. When really it's like, no, if anything, I'm dumber than I was before I left. Yeah, and less capable. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> now I've spent two years brainwashing myself. Uh, to kind of <laughs> trust these uh, eureka moments as an effective way for making a decision. And now I just mm-hmm. kind of, if I get butterflies in my stomach, I guess it's the right thing to do and I'll evaluate nothing any further. Yeah. yeah. It's just terrible. Because I, mean, I just remember like you hear all those talks, like you're doing this for your future, like family, mm-hmm. if you're your wife. And then, um, so, so my wife, like she, um, like she had sex before. And I remember being like that, like a huge obstacle to overcome. I was like, yeah. you know, like, I'm being a good man by being of someone who wasn't like pure or whatever. And then I just, and then like, now I look back at my thought process. I was like, oh, that's so messed up. 
that's like yeah. so messed up like people need to hear like listen like it's fine like get over it but you have yeah. so many guys maybe 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 girls to the church there's so many men in the church that like they just they don't know how to get over it because they don't know they're just so brainwashed and so manipulated into thinking that they need to think a certain way and mm-hmm. be with a certain person that they can't accept who people are and that's like one of the biggest things you're supposed to accept people like christ but you can't do it because you've been manipulated your whole life yeah it's so oh go ahead bishop i was just gonna say like if the church let members know that they could repent of sexual sin then everybody would be out committing sexual sin right like they're in this weird situation where it's like if we back up on the rhetoric even a little bit then everybody's gonna start fucking So we got to take this hard line, but then on the flip side, it, it does cause, I think a lot of damages in relationships getting started, like just kind of a, a messed up mentality where it's like, Oh, you weren't a virgin when we got married. Then I guess you like, owe me an apology. It's like, I didn't even know you. Like I was 16. I was in high school. I wasn't even thinking about it. It's like, that's exactly it. You weren't thinking about me, were you? You were just thinking about yourself, you selfish little whore. Now be grateful that I'm going to marry you. Basically. Yeah. Like it's not, that's not far off from, from the dialogue that goes in, in through your head. And it's um, who who's accountable for that internal rhetoric. The, I think the, the apostles are clever enough to like, they've got a real, do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. So they'll say mm-hmm. these kind of cryptic things from the pulpit where they know the members are taking it to a, a insane extreme, but they won't do anything to say, you know, like if you told an, if an apostle came and visited and you said, you know what, I've been dating this girl, but when she was in high school, she fucked some guy <laughs> and I'm really, I, you know, and you just said everything you were thinking, the apostle would probably be like, now listen here, young man, um, the things you're saying, holy crap, you're messed up, right? I think if you told them directly, they'd be like, oh. But they're not they're not doing anything to correct that message. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they're mm-hmm. not. I think if you directly told them, these are the thoughts that I have because of the things I heard at church, they'd be like, oh, crap, I made a big mistake. But they kind of, they distance themselves enough from it that they just, they stay out of touch and they just kind of say these hellfire and brimstone things from the pulpit and take no accountability for how members take it and put it into practice. Yeah. And then members just say, that's church culture for you. It's like, well, where did the messed up church culture come from? The stupid (laughs) messages coming from the pulpit at general conference. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Um, yeah, so where, yeah, so where are you at now, you? Samuel the Lamanite, uh, standing on top of the wall and preaching? On top of the wall, yeah. So I am still in Rexburg, and I'm playing the system, like my mom likes to call it. Because <laughs> I, I told her, I'm like, listen, I'm really probably not going to go ever back to church, like seriously, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and my, my mom, like, she, I think she's kind of, because she, she knows so many things are bullshit in the church, too. Mm-hmm. But right. um, he's always been in a position because my dad, believe it or not, he's actually like an area of 70. So my dad has always been like super, super into the church. Mm. But all, all, all the kids have left. <laughs> my mom is finally really? to the point. Do whatever you want to do. What makes you happy? Like, mm-hmm. honestly, it's fine. So my mom told me, just play the system. Like, go to school in Bellevue, Idaho. You know, like it's cheaper there. When you graduate, you don't ever have to look back. She's like, just play the system. So that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah nice (laughs) i'm glad you have the family support yeah Yeah. so your dad is an area authority of 70 right now. oh yeah oh yeah he's a he's a head honcho he's when me and my mom keep talking about it he's like the perfect candidate because like he's an immigrant Mm -hmm. he did the american dream Mm-hmm. And people can, I don't know, like the church likes to use him. Like he's the bishop. Like, look at this man, poor man, came from Ecuador mm-hmm. to come and be a leader in our church. Right. Mm-hmm. And he built was a him, Yeah. Yeah. Built himself out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. Dang. So, a lot, like, while you were married, because uh, just like when we were emailing back and forth, you said you wanted to talk about marriage. I did something last night. I looked up, like, 
marriage advice on lds.org and then i looked up marriage advice on psychology today (laughs) and the thing that i found interesting and this is something that always kind of uh like sat with me uncomfortably was anytime the enzyme or something like that gives advice it's usually indecipherable just gobbledygook there's nothing ever practical in the messages or advice and then i'm looking at the psychology today article and i can't vet anything in there is being like empirically sound but i can say it's like usually practical advice that you can really use so what kind of bs did you get any bs kind of marriage advice while you're working through your separation and of course what kind of counsel did you get for how to make things work so i remember like just listening to the people around me like you know you need to start doing do you go to church every week like i'll be trying to go like a few times a month like you need to go every week and stay for the full time, not just sacrament meeting. Mm-hmm. You need to read scriptures together, <laughs> pray together each morning right. and night. That's I'm gonna be honest. That's all we got. Uh huh. That's it. Because this, like this, Helpful. this article in the, on, it was in a 2012 enzyme. It's called "What Happily Married Couples Do." That's one of the things in there. And then I'm looking at psychology today, and this was something I also saw on TikTok, which is, of course, you know. Uh, questionable at best, but it was talking about this thing called positivity resonance. So it's one of the things that determines or they find it strongly associated with a happy marriage is if your spouse comes up to you and talks to you about something, they're super happy and super excited. Couples that stay together, the other spouse will get super excited. They don't pop the other spouse's balloon. And so Mm -hmm. if you, if you get positive and excited for your spouse, and then they get more happy and excited. You just build these small positive connections. And then I was listening to this, uh, this little clip from Jordan Peterson, where he was talking about the little things in life. And he's saying like a happy marriage is not drinking margaritas on a beach. Okay. A happy marriage is if you think about dinner time, that's an hour that you spend together. If you get that right and you get breakfast time, right. That's another, hour that you spend together and you get those little moments, right? Those little moments over a lifetime build up and add up. And that's what makes a happy and strong marriage. And that's exactly what they're saying in psychology today with this positivity resonance is like find small little ways to connect throughout the day. That's what makes you happy. And it's boring and mundane and it's not like super exciting. It's not this overwhelming romantic love, but it's just these little things that build up over a lifetime to have a happy marriage. And I thought that's really great. So now I might not be perfect about it. And maybe Sister Jensen will write hate mail saying how wrong I am. But I consciously try now when she's happy or excited about something, I really try to make sure that I'm not deflating her balloon. That I'm Mm -hmm. like, even if it's like, even if to me it seems crazy or not that big of a deal, I try to make it a big deal if it's a big deal to her because I know that that little bit of being connected if i do that enough and compound that over a long period of time we'll be happy but you will not find that in a church article because they will not talk about something that's like remotely scientific it'll be like read your scriptures together because if you both like reading scriptures maybe you'll coincidentally generate some of that positivity resonance but it doesn't it's not guaranteed right one other thing they said like spend time with children and grandchildren like no no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is not how you become family. like yeah that is not necessarily what would be i'm just looking at cultivate christ-like attributes what <laughs> like what does that even mean in terms of a practical kind of a way because what we've associated christ-like attributes with i think is becoming passive mm-hmm right? That's what it means to become more Christ-like is meek and humble and lowly of heart and small and, oh, just let me, let's not confront the actual problem. I'll just do more service and then hopefully you'll fix your bullshit if I'm kind enough, right? (laughs) That's what being Christ, like that's what it means to cultivate Christ-like attributes. Don't actually deal with the problem. Just be nice and kind and sweet and then hopefully people sort out their own bullshit. It's easy. Yeah, it's easy. Just lay down. And yeah. Just lay down. <laughs> lay down. Yeah. Let people walk over you. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, like, read your scriptures. Another, like another piece of advice that I saw from the scholars of the world was it said, don't think about a marriage as 50 50, go 80 80. 
So sometimes couples mm. get caught up in fairness. I did these chores, you pay these bills, you do this work, I do that work. And as long as we feel like it's fair and balanced, then we're good. But he's saying, no, try to be generous with each other. Couples who are happy are generous with each other. They give more than 50% each. I'm like, oh. And that's a better way of being Christ-like. I, I'd say of, of, uh, of communicating how to be Christ-like is to go the extra mile. Both of you be on that page. Of, I'm going to do as much as I can for my spouse. Not yeah. like what's fair, but I'm going to. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I okay. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Samuel, um, Mr. Lamanite, sir. Um, like based on we've heard some advice from a couple different sources here, and now looking at your own experience, based on that, what what advice would you give somebody? Oh. I think the positive thing that you were talking about, like if someone had told me, because like when you were talking about like, oh, when your spouse is excited, you need to be excited. Like that's mm-hmm. one thing that um, I think in the beginning of the relationship, I was um, definitely a lot more, uh, a lot more willing to do. But towards the end, when I was kind of like going for my own struggles and stuff, it would be very hard for me to get excited. But if I yeah. if I had heard something like that, I would have been like, oh, like if every time I get excited, when she gets excited, like every, oh, everything would be good. Well, not everything will be good, but like that, that, that's a good sign. And I'm like, oh, I should have done that. Like thinking about that, like maybe, like, I don't think it would have saved the marriage, but that definitely would have, um, you know, produced a, a bunch of happier moments. So there's just hearing that is like a huge thing. And it also like 80, 80, like you actually want to give more than just 50%. And yeah, I, I like that. I don't know. Just the positivity thing. Like if you're genuinely excited, if you act genuinely excited when your partner is excited, like that makes such a big difference, not just a marriage, but any, any type of relationship. Mm-hmm. None of this, like they cultivate Christ-like attributes. Like, cause that's the type of stuff I was hearing. I'm like, what, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like I want to hear sound about? advice. I don't want to hear this church shit advice. Cause I think that is what it, I know. That's probably a huge point of me kind of leaning out. Cause I, I remember mm-hmm. being like, I want to hear good, advice i don't want to go to a therapist that's that you need a, mem- a, ch- a therapist that's a member of the church like i don't want one <laughs> yeah i want someone who can think for themselves mm-hmm. i want like scientific stuff like one one other thing the church article talks about it said be sensitive to each other's stress levels and and here's just what's so great about it mothers generally make sure children get to school and other events fix food nurse everyone and serve as a family psychologist in many cases for most of the day. Working spouses often come home tired and drained. This can make emotions extra raw. Now, I'm a morning person, my wife is not. I have gotten up with the kids for most of our marriage and Mm -hmm. gotten them breakfast. I'm usually off to work before they need to get to school, but like, I mean, just the way that it's like, mothers are usually doing this 1950s motherly bullshit and then (laughs) They don't say dads, which is interesting. They say working spouses, i.e. dads, come home tired and drained. So it's like on one in one sentence, they're uh, doing gender roles. And then the next sentence, they're trying to avoid gender roles. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's like both spouses will benefit from seeking to make homecoming a positive experience for each other and the children, which is that's part of the positive resonance is and, and me and my wife have actually talked about consciously, like, you know, uh, when I come home from work of a big hug and a kiss um, and say hello and ask each other about our day. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just kind of masked in this church bullshit. And then they go on about, like, in addition, here are a few more specific things all couples can do that through consistent effort will bring happiness. Kneel together in prayer morning and night to call down the powers of heaven to bless your marriage. Study the scriptures individually and as a family. Attend the temple together regularly. I and every missionary I know hated companionship study with a passion as a missionary. Hmm. And I don't think there's one of them who came home was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to just study the scriptures with my wife. (laughs) My non-virginal whore wife. (laughs) 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 Who's dumber than me because she didn't go on a mission. Like, I <laughs> I don't understand how that's helpful because I think the other thing, and I'm, I know I'm getting on a rant here, the other thing that's problematic with that advice 
is that there are real marriage issues. And when you try to solve like prayer and reading the scriptures, that's not a solution for fundamental communication block. Like we don't know how to talk to each other respectfully. Oh, say your prayers and read your scriptures. No, that's not how you learn to problem solve together. That has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with communication. But if you do that thing, you'll be happy. Even though the thing you need to work on is completely unrelated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They treat it like a magic solution. Yes. Yes. That's that's what it is. Because I guess people believe it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know how people do it. But um, I mean, I've run into so many couples who are like, these are older couples, like thirty plus years of marriage. They're like, oh yeah, like if, if um, like if we lived today, like we would we would have gotten divorced, but we don't like we didn't believe in divorce. We're not divorced. <laughs> like I've run into so many people around here, but I think now I think divorce is becoming more like kind of more of a, an acceptable thing, like an okay thing. Mm-hmm. So um, so I think now like when married couples go for problems, they're like, well, I don't have to deal with this, you know, like mm-hmm. fuck that. But I think back in the day when you get married and you realize like, oh shit, like this isn't what I thought it was. Like, but I don't want to get divorced, you know, because that's going to look bad. So they just are what grow old and grow bitter and they like sleep in separate rooms. And like, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. No, they like grow to resent each other. Like I think <laughs> um, relationships are a lot healthier when you get out of them when you realize like, Oh, this isn't working instead of getting out when it's like, this will never work. (laughs) Yeah. You can't wait till it's the worst part of your day to get out. Yeah. And I, Oh, go ahead there. No, 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 go ahead. It's just like, if you can be open and honest in your communication, Mm -hmm. then I would just imagine that, if the relationship is falling apart, you'll discover that by being open and honest with each other. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But if your communication isn't open or honest, or it's always hiding behind a mask of like, we need to keep this together because of our temple covenants. um, Then you're never going to find out really where, where you guys are going together. Um. I know I got told, like, when I first got married, like, never throw out the word divorce, even if you're, like, emotionally exasperated or whatever, right? Hmm. Um, I'm not a marriage counselor or anything, but I'm just kind of, like, if you're really open, it's like, okay, we haven't been getting along so well the last couple months. Are we splitting up or what? You got to, in my mind, it's like you throw down the, the brutal honesty of, like, Okay, things haven't been functioning so well. We splitting up. Is that on the table? Or are we going to figure this one out? Okay, we're going to figure mm-hmm. this one out. Okay, let's keep working on it. Um, but that, to like in my mind, you just when you say that, when you communicate honestly, you put yourself in a vulnerable position. And when you're truly vulnerable, then you guys can work on it together. Like that's just been my experience. But if it's like, nope, can't throw out the D word or split up word because that's just against our principles. It's you can't get into the level of vulnerability or, or raw rawness that you need to to work things out. Mm-hmm. No, a hundred percent. I mean, because because me, I've always had a I had a hard time like being vulnerable, being super open. And I, for the first time in my life, when I was, is when we talked about like splitting up. Because mm-hmm. I remember being like, because because it's growing up and just seeing my family. It's like, no, like doesn't matter how bad this is getting, like. It can be toxic and all this stuff. Like, we're not splitting up, you know? And I don't know if that's, like, a Latino immigrant type thing because I know that's very common. But I, I remember being, like, no, like, that's that can never be an option. But, like, for the first time in our relationship, like, when we were being, sh- like, so vulnerable and open, like, that's what we talked about. Because mm-hmm. we're, like, like, let's think about this. Like, what do you want to do with your life? What do I want to do with, our, with my life? Is that mm-hmm. going to are we on the same road? People feel like we're not going to be. Well, then we don't want to prevent each other's happiness or, like, growth. You know, like mm-hmm. that'd be the last thing. I remember telling him that, like, well, the last thing I want to do is prevent you from growing. And mm-hmm. I knew you want to think for me. And we both, like, if you think about it realistically, like, we're, she's 20, I'm 21. Like, we we have our whole lives ahead of us. Like, we don't want to prevent ourselves from going up. We need, a, we need to split up. And I can guarantee, like, obviously it's a lot of hurt and pain, but I can guarantee even now that, like, it's probably one of the better decisions of my life because I know that down the road I'll look back on this and be like, 
imagine if he had stayed married, it would have been like, mm-hmm. who knows what could have happened, you know, mm-hmm. I would be where I, where I could be. And that like, just what you're saying with your experience, um, that you were able to be super vulnerable and, and in that moment of vulnerability, you guys kind of came to the conclusion that you should split up. That's not a bad thing. You, you know, but we treat it like that's a bad thing. If you if you guys mm-hmm. rashly discuss your relationship and come to the conclusion that you shouldn't be together, well, then you just shouldn't have had that conversation at all. Oh, wait a minute. Like, we actually bore our hearts out to each other. We were sincere and found out where we want to go. And it seems mm-hmm. like it's not together. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like, when my wife left the church, first question she asked, are you getting divorced? Um, but I'm glad that she uh, was brave enough to be that vulnerable with me because that really made me evaluate things um, and, and what I wanted to do. And I wanted to stay together more than anything. Um, mm-hmm. So we stuck together. But I think if she hadn't been that vulnerable, maybe the you know it would have swirled in my brain, and I just you know, could have eaten me up inside. And then maybe one day I would have woken up and said, no, I want to be married in the temple. We're getting divorced. I, you know, Mm -hmm. but she was willing to put herself on the line that way. And and so I was able to put myself on the line and really think about it. Yeah. So basically like anything, did you guys go to counseling? Um, so she, so we had, she had, um, no, we didn't go to. We didn't ever do counseling together. Mm-hmm. But um, she, um, so she had she has pretty bad anxiety. She she had always had a counselor before, so yeah. she wasn't mm-hmm. seeing her counselor bring her married because she was getting better, you know. But um, every, but after we got divorced, obviously she went to see her counselor, mm-hmm. and then I'm seeing like my counselor now. And that was another thing too that I was told like not to see a counselor too. They're like, mm-hmm. no counselor don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Just be more like Christ. I'm like, yes, yeah. Like the, the church doesn't believe in counseling, and they're like, mm-hmm. well, go to the bishop; he'll find you a counselor. Like, I'm not going to the church for a counselor. I'm finding my own counselor. Yeah, yeah. And now, like, the church has put out a course on emotional resilience, <laughs> which is like pseudo psychology for dealing with anxiety. It looks like, but again, I think it's going to be rooted in like just believe in Jesus more, and have, and it's like you know, there's underlying issues with anxiety. So underlying issues mm-hmm. with depression. There's things that can be treated in a in a proper way without doing some bullshit course about relying on the arm of the savior. And then the other thing, it's like, why do you need an emotional resilience course for the members of your church? Because you yeah. beat the shit out of them emotionally every week, right? <laughs> Basically, we're, we're we're one of a few groups who just acknowledge the trauma and be like, yeah, we're we're traumatizing everyone. In- <laughs> <laughs> so now, of course yeah yeah so okay so you guys never went to counseling but basically like the truth like did you go to your bishops for advice while your marriage was falling oh, no, no, no. me and my wife did not want to do that but okay. i remember um, oh i've got to tell you this is a good one so i remember after we got split up mm-hmm. it was like the first week within the first week we got split up and she was like moving her stuff out i get a call from my mm-hmm. bishop he's like hey how are you i'm like i'm good how are you Mm-hmm. He's like, um, I, so I heard you, you and your wife split up. I was like, how the hell do you know that? Mm-hmm. I told him, I was like, how the fuck do you know that? I mean, he got, he got surprised over the phone because I was swearing at him. He's like, um, because I'm the bishop. And I was like, I am at work. I have to go. Like, bye. Yeah. yeah. I remember telling that to my siblings, like, why is the bishop calling you and asking you if you and your wife are split up? Because everything's his business. Yeah. yeah. Right, Bishop He's Jensen? Well, you are my sheep in my fold of one fold and one shepherd. Hmm? And that you are all known of me. <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. And I remember texting yeah. my wife and she was like, what the hell is wrong with the church? I was like, I don't know. Like, it's not all bishops, but I was like, what the hell is wrong with that bishop? Yeah. yeah. He's like, so I heard you and your wife split up. He's like, let me know if I can help. No, no, no. He didn't say that. He was like, well, I would love to come and talk with you and maybe you and your, you can meet, I can meet with you and your wife and we can sort things out. I was like, you're not going to help dude. Yeah. You're not a marriage counselor. Yeah. Did you, um, okay. So this, like this whole experience of, did you get any positive, uh, kind of advice or experience through the whole thing or was it all just like 
you're living in the twilight zone and uh-huh. and life got crazy for for a year i think both because i definitely if in the beginning i was kind of like uh i'm confused but I kind of, oh, I'm the kind of person that like always knows deep down like what's right and what's wrong, and I and I always knew like deep down like you know what like this wasn't ever really meant to be, mm-hmm. and um, like we can either sulk in it or we can learn up and grow from it. Obviously, it's not a lesson that you, well, it's a lesson that you need to learn, but not in the way that I wanted to learn it. But mm-hmm. you, there's only looking up from here on now. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely say I've learned a bunch of things, but it, it was because of me, because I chose to learn some things. I chose to look at it differently. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because I was reading the scriptures or like on my knees praying at night for like an hour, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's because I'm like, you know what? Like I needed to make certain adjustments in my life. I obviously things, some things are not true. <laughs> and um, now I know, you know, like for a hundred percent for sure. Yeah. So, well, like, you learned how to trust yourself a lot more, trust your oh, own judgment. Yes, yeah. yeah. I think that's probably one of the most important lessons I learned because, like, I was always like, maybe you're wrong. No, you're wrong. You're you're doubting your doubt. You need to doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. It's, no, the church will, can conquer anything. It doesn't matter. The Savior can help you for anything. You know, like, he can fix anything. I'm like, well, I can too, you know? Mm-hmm. And not enough people hear that message. Like, yeah, you can you can overcome it. You don't need, like, you can do it. Yeah, that's kind of one of my big um, things is like, why can't I work with me and the people around me who care about me, who are right here, who are able to impact my life directly? What about them? (laughs) There are real people who have a real impact on my life. And, um, And I think that's better than any Sky Daddy. Yes. So, um, as we run up the hour here, because um, that's how these recordings, they're going to split. Anyways, it's a whole thing for me, uh, for <laughs> length of recordings and stuff. You know, um, I want to hear, where are you at now? Like, what is your your life? You're done. You're playing the system. What's going on? Yes. I will tell you. So now I am enjoying life. I'm hanging out with my friends and being such a, I mean, an apostate going Mm -hmm. bars on the weekends, you know, not going to church. (laughs) Yes, I've, uh, I'm doing really good. I'm doing really good. Um, Just going to school, working, you know, I'm finally getting to the point in school where I can see the finish line. I'm getting really excited about that. And I'm just enjoying life, enjoying life. How are you avoiding the honor code office? Oh, so since I was married, I lived in, um, so we lived like in, not, not marriage housing, but like count, uh, community housing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm divorced, so I'm damaged goods, so they don't really want me with other students. So mm-hmm. I have my own place, you know? And um, I, I kind of just play the system. Like, I'll probably go to church every once, like, just to meet the quota. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then yep. I don't have any I have a few roommate. friends who are doing yeah. exactly that. Yeah, and I don't have roommates, so like the the honor code doesn't really. I mean, they don't really. No one knows what I'm doing. Yeah, and then I guess if somebody saw you at the bar, they would have to admit that they themselves were at the bar. Yeah, exactly. So that. <laughs> and, I mean, I mean, yeah. it's Idaho, so there's not really a bunch of places to go. That's what I mean. I'm like, <laughs> it's, really it's a not. small town with a lot of uh, snitches. So, yeah. are you ever worried about like walking out of the bar and seeing somebody? No, you know, it's funny. So I think, when did we go? I think it was two weeks ago and I saw someone and he just laughed when he saw me and I just laughed when I saw him because I'm like, he's not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. There, so there's some I, satisfaction I think, in that. Yeah, so like, I feel like anyone who I do see at the bar, like I'll probably will know them anyway because it's such a small mm-hmm. town. So, and the people I hang out with, um, they're cool. Like I just have like two or three friends. Two of them aren't. Um, members and the other one is he he's the other person i do the, my podcast with so mm. and he's really cool he's very accepting but um nice. i'm good as far as i'm concerned that's <laughs> good that's good as your uh, closing testimony do you want to tell people about your podcast and where they can find it yes please so um so me and my buddy we have a thing called norman's podcast and uh, we kind of just talk about dumb shit 
<laughs> and um, yeah, we're excited to see where it goes. We just talk about, we don't really go into church stuff at all. We just talk about like stuff that we like, kind of pop mm-hmm. culture events. And it's on Spotify. So please um, look us up and give us a review. That would really mean a lot. And um, well, thanks to you guys for having me on. This is a blast. I listen to you guys every week. You guys are so <laughs> awesome. You, you're changing lives out here. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> doing the Lord's work with us. We really appreciate hearing that. And uh, Bishop, do you want to close us out? Yeah, I just say in closing, um, if you like or don't like what you listen to, uh, send us an email at unmormon at gmail.com. We actually haven't had any angry hate mail, uh, which I'm a little disappointed in. It makes me believe that I haven't said anything controversial enough. Um, So John Dillon's a windbag. And uh, so if that agitates or upsets some people hopefully you'll uh, write us a hate mail at unmormon at gmail.com in the name of joseph Perfect. smith amen amen <laughs> <laughs>